Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is Psalms 142. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. Before him, I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who know my way. In the path where I walk, men have hidden a snare for me. Look to my right and see. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry out to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who would pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Thank you, Terry, for reading scripture for us this morning. So I want to start this morning with a question, as I often do. Why do you do what you do? (laughs) Pretty broad question. Why do you do what you do? I'll get to uh, my reasoning for asking it. What I'm saying is that there's always a motivation behind our actions. Everything that we do, we do for a reason, whether we're aware of that reason or not. If you go to work, you have a reason for doing so. You go to work to make money, maybe. You go to work because you bring benefit to the lives of other people or because you like to hang out with your coworkers. Those are all reasonable reasons to go to work. If you go out to eat, you have a reason for going out to eat. Probably because you're hungry, number one reason. Maybe because you want to spend time with your spouse or with your friends. Maybe it's your anniversary. It's a reason for going out to eat. Maybe because you didn't feel like cooking that night. That one resonates with me. Um, And if you come to church on a Sunday morning, you have a reason for doing so. Because mom asked you to, and it's Mother's Day. (laughs) Maybe that's a reason. Maybe because you feel like you should. Maybe because it's what you've always done. No matter what we do, there's always a motive behind what we do. Do not make choices and decisions in a vacuum. But often we're blind to what influences our daily decision-making. When it comes to spiritual practices, which we'll be talking about today, giving, fasting, praying, how to handle money, navigating worry, there are good and bad reasons for doing spiritual things. Jesus In the passage that we'll be looking at today, he takes issue with one particular set of motivations. When it comes to spiritual practices, it is the heart behind why we do what we do that is the most important thing. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you for this day that you have made. We thank you for your word and we thank you for your son Jesus and for this sermon that he has preached in the book of Matthew. 
God, may it be Jesus that we hear today through your word and not me. May we not just hear your word today, God, but may we do it as well. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 6. That's where we'll be this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. If you're using a church Bible, Matthew chapter 6 is on page 684 of the church Bibles. That'll help you flip there. And we'll be looking at all of chapter 6 today which is really a continuation of what we looked at last week in Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus, his primary ethical teaching that he gave to his followers. I've split Matthew chapter 6 up into three parts today. You can see those on your outline and your bulletin. We'll talk about following Jesus, the practices, verses 1 through 18. We'll talk about following Jesus' money, verses 19 through 24. And finally, we'll talk about following Jesus and worry, verses 25 through 34. So let me read that first section for us, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. I'll stop reading there for us. Oh, I'll keep reading, actually. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I'll stop reading there for us. 
So Jesus is really a masterful teacher. And as he continues his teaching here in the body of the Sermon on the Mount, he actually summarizes this entire teaching in chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. It's kind of the main point of all that Jesus is saying here. It's a pretty clear warning from Jesus. And there's a pretty clear consequence if this is not done. He says, if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Seems pretty serious. See, Jesus is taking issue with spiritual practices that are done for the specific purpose of being seen by other people. This particular motivation for why we do things, for what he says here, giving, prayer, fasting, is really the wrong motive. And if those things are done with that motive behind them, then they become useless. God does not reward those who give, pray, and fast with the sole desire of being seen by others. And he moves on. And he wants to illustrate this. And so he gives uh, three separate contrasts about giving, about praying, and about fasting. He says, don't do this. Don't be like these people, but instead do this. The first contrast is about giving to the needy. And Jesus says, when you give to the needy. When, not if, but when. So he's assuming that his followers will give to people in need as part of their regular practice, as part of their daily or weekly life. And he says not to announce it with trumpets. Now, I think this is a hyperbole from Jesus. Maybe people back then actually announced it with trumpets. I don't know if the Pharisees or the Sadducees actually did that. Um, But what he means is not to draw attention to your giving. This is what Jesus says the hypocrites do. They do it to be honored by other people. The hypocrites that he's talking about are the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And Jesus says that they have, in fact, received their reward in full. But he says that God doesn't reward them. He doesn't reward that kind of behavior. And so if they've received their reward in full, then their reward must have come from somewhere else, something or someone that isn't God. The hypocrites have received honor, but from people, not from God. The honor that they've received from people is the wrong kind of honor to go after. See, the honor that we can get from others is fleeting. It only lasts for so long. It comes and it goes over time, changes frequently, and then eventually it will fade away. This is Jesus' warning of what not to do. But he also provides what we should do. He says, When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, Probably another hyperbole from Jesus. I don't think there's a way to stop your left hand from knowing what your right hand is doing. What he means is that if you could, if you could stop your left hand from knowing what your right hand is doing, then you should. 
You should try to hide your giving even from yourself because your own heart will try to deceive you. Your heart is what desires honor from others. So Jesus says to give in secret because God honors what is done in secret. It's not actually a secret because ultimately God will see it, but give so that other people don't see it. But God sees it. And if God sees it, if he sees that we have given to receive honor from him and from no one else, then he will reward that. If you give to draw attention to yourself, you give to receive honor from people, you ruin the whole purpose of giving to the needy in the first place. See, what is supposed to be an act of love, mercy, and restoration on behalf of someone else actually becomes an open door for you to fill yourself up with pride or selfishness or envy for other people. And immediately, that act loses any sense of spiritual fruit that may come from it. If you draw attention to yourself when giving to the needy, you actually become the needy person yourself in need of maybe not the material things, but in need of the approval of others to be built up or seen as good in the eyes of other people. That becomes your need. Modern day example of this would be posting about it on social media, right? Why do we post things on social media, right? We put it out there so that other people can see it. I have been guilty of this in the past. It's one of the reasons that I'm not on social media anymore because I would post things on social media and, you know, I'd put it out there because it was a good thing that I was doing, but in the back of my head, I had that thought, well, well maybe this person will see it and think good of me because of it. So I've kind of taken the saying from Matthew and I've changed it a little bit. So when you give to the needy, do not boast about it on social media as the hypocrites do in the churches and on the streets, to be honored by others. See, as a pastor, I love to hear about how our church has given to the needy. I love how we we meet needs as a church and as individuals. But what I would rather have is a church full of people who give to the needy in secret and don't draw attention to it, because God gets the glory for that. You don't need my honor as your pastor to say, good job. You need God's honor to say, good job. So if you see a need, meet it. If you see someone on the street who needs help, help them. But don't draw attention to it. The second contrast Jesus talks about is about prayer. Again, Jesus says, when you pray. So he's assuming that his followers will pray. He says, again, to not be like the hypocrites. The hypocrites love to pray in public so that other people will see them. And once again, Jesus says that they have received their reward in full. They have been seen by others, but again, their reward has not come from God. And so Jesus, once again, gives us what to do. He says, pray in secret. Literally, he says, to go into a room by ourselves, and close the door, and so only God can see us praying. Again, this is probably another hyperbole from Jesus, 
There are appropriate times to pray in public. A church service is one of them. They have a place. But it's easy. It's easy to pray in public with the hidden intention of being seen or heard by other people. Where the real God-honoring work is done is the private prayer of God's people. Jesus, he actually tacks on a second contrast here about prayer. Again, he talks about not the hypocrites, but actually he talks about the pagans, the people who babble on as they pray. They think that they will be heard because of their many words, that if they pray with eloquency or with length, that God will then answer their prayer once they've gotten to a certain point. Jesus says that's not how God works. In fact, God knows what we need before we even ask him. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't ask? No, we should still ask him. But we should pray as Jesus says we should pray. It's actually what we pray every Sunday. Now, it was hard for me to read in the NIV because what we recite as a church in unison isn't the NIV. Um, But he's talking about the Lord's Prayer. So we take this pretty literally. But the Lord's Prayer is uh, really a framework for how to pray in our lives. Start by acknowledging God's authority our Father in heaven. Start by desiring God to be held in esteem, in high esteem, hallowed be thy name. Then, once you've done those things, then you can start asking for things, but ask according to God's purposes first. Ask for God's kingdom to come. Ask for God's will to be done, and then ask for things for yourself. Ask for God's provision but ask for his daily bread, the simple things that we need. Ask for forgiveness for others and for ourselves. Ask for freedom from the evil one. See, as your pastor, I love the prayer time that we share in on a Sunday morning. I love reciting this prayer with all of you. It warms my heart. But I would rather have a church full of people who pray privately throughout the week, who raise their requests to God, not just on a Sunday morning, but in secret throughout their time during the week. Not just for the things on our prayer list, but for the many concerns of other people in our lives. So if you need to pray, then pray. But don't draw attention to it. It's really easy to comment on that social media post, right? Thoughts and prayers and That has a place. But actually commit yourself to praying regularly for that person or for that situation in private, just you and God. The third contrast Jesus talks about is about fasting. Once again, Jesus says, when you fast. And this one we we often miss. As followers of Jesus, he's assuming that we will fast as people going without food or without something else for the purpose of drawing closer to God. Jesus once again says, do not be like the hypocrites who draw attention to themselves so that people know that they are fasting. They would literally make themselves look hungry or tired so that people knew what they were doing. Again, Jesus says they have received their reward 
in full. They have been seen by others, but this reward has not come from God. Instead, Jesus says, again, do the opposite. Do everything we can to make it seem like we aren't fasting. Not to be deceptive, but to remove that temptation to seek the approval of other people. God will honor this act of fasting if it is done properly. See, what these three contrasts, just to sum them up, what they have in common is this. It is easier to do the public act. It is easier to do what you should be doing when other people are watching. Jesus says, what really matters is what you do when no one is watching. Or really, when only God is watching. Now, this doesn't mean that our church worship service doesn't have a place. It does have a place. But what also matters is your personal life of following Jesus. And there's a promise that comes along with this, too. This isn't just another set of rules from Jesus. Jesus says that we will receive a reward, and that reward is God's blessing. Our gifts to the needy will actually help lift people out of their affliction. Our prayers will be answered, and God will use them to help other people. Our fasting will lead us closer into a relationship with God, and he in turn will fill us with his spirit. And so here's my challenge to you as a church this week. Find one person with a need to help, and help them. Find one person to pray for, and pray for them. Find a day to fast, something to give up, and fast. But then don't tell anyone. (laughs) I don't want to hear about it. Don't tell other people about it. Keep it a secret. This is what we must do if we want to receive God's reward. This is what we must do if we want to see God's kingdom come. Jesus knows that there's another concern that we have as people. The concern of money. So let me read our next section for this morning in verses 19 through 24. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, Or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's very practical teaching from Jesus. Jesus knows that we as people are concerned about money. And the people who have come to gather to listen to him give this sermon probably have questions. If I'm going to follow this Jesus person, what does that mean for how I handle my money? Jesus 
in turn points to the fact that earthly treasures do not last. They're liable to be destroyed, to be lost. They're liable to be stolen by other people. Jesus says what is better? What is better than storing up treasures on earth is storing up treasures instead in heaven. Because treasures in heaven, unlike those treasures on earth, cannot be destroyed. They cannot be stolen. And Jesus, he kind of just drops this one-liner here, maybe one of the best one-liners in Scripture. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If your treasure is on earth, then your heart will be with it on earth. But what happens when you are taken from the earth? Well, your heart is still with your treasure, treasure you no longer have access to. But if your treasure is in heaven, then your heart will be in heaven. When you are taken to heaven, your heart will then be with the treasures that you will have access to in heaven. Jesus is pointing to a universal truth that we all know, uh, but we often don't act like is true. We cannot take the things of this life with us. Yes, we can leave them behind for the people that come after us, but we can't take them with us. In this time, in Jesus' time, would have been gold, silver, livestock, storehouses of food, and land. And today, what might be some of those same things, cash, investment accounts, real estate, all of those things. None of this we get to take with us. Despite the fact that we know that, we often don't live like it. We still strive to build up treasures on earth. We still place our trust and our comfort and our security on those things, though they may be taken from us. Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Either you will love God and hate money, or you will love money and hate God. Either you will be devoted to God and despise money, or you will be devoted to money and despise God. Jesus is saying this because he knows that money makes a terrible master. Your money does not love you, but God loves you. Your money does not set you free, but God sets you free. There's a a statistic out there, if maybe you've heard this before, uh, that happiness only increases with your yearly salary up to $70,000 a year. Past that point, there is no additional happiness benefit to making more money than that. Your money might leave you. The stock market crashes tomorrow. Now, hopefully it doesn't, but if it does, your money might leave you. But God will never leave you or forsake you. Now, money is not a bad thing. Money is a necessary means to an end. But the love of money... That's what Jesus has an issue with. When money becomes our main goal in life, when making money becomes the main thing that we strive after, when money becomes the thing that we trust in instead of God, that's what Jesus is warning about. Financial stability is a good thing to save or to seek after. It's good to pay back debts. It is good to read books by Dave Ramsey. Those are good things. Jesus' problem is with the storing up of money when we have so much of it that we don't know what to do with it, 
We have so much of it tucked away for a rainy day that we find safety in that. Instead, Jesus points to something better. Storing up treasures in heaven. What is better than storing up our money is using our money to benefit the growth of God's kingdom. The kingdom that Jesus has said has come near. What are the treasures in heaven? Well, people. That's what God values. That's what God wants to see built up in heaven is his people. The people that he has said he has created. The people that he loves. He wants them to be surrounding him, worshiping him. That's what God wants heaven to look like. If you want to store up treasure in heaven, invest in your relationship with God. Grow not just your bank account or your portfolio, but grow in your love for him. Give your earthly treasure to benefit the work of those who are sharing the gospel around the world. But you yourself, join in in that work to bring more treasure into the kingdom. Jesus knows that the love of money has a common side effect. Worry. So that's our last section for this morning. Let me read verses 25 through 34 for us. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all of his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus begins this section with a therefore. So there's a cause and effect going on here. Because we serve God and not money, because we store up treasures in heaven and not on earth, the effect of that is that we can become free from our worry. What naturally goes with the love of money is worry. Where is my next meal going to come from? Where, where am I going to go if the stock market crashes and I lose everything? See, these are the things that we worry about. We store up treasures on earth. Jesus says there is more to life than this. There is more to life than worrying about our basic needs. Jesus wants us to be set free from worrying about these things. This is not the life that Jesus wants for us, for us to be constantly worried about what is going to happen tomorrow. So Jesus' advice is, again, not to store up treasures on earth, 
And his advice is to look around at creation. His advice is to go for a walk, to look at the birds, look at the flowers, look at the grass. God provides for his creation, and you are part of his creation. And so God will provide for you. You're not just any part of God's creation. You are his chosen creation. You are made in his image, and he loves you. So how much more will he provide for you than just the birds? Jesus asks a powerful rhetorical question here in verse 27. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? The answer to that question is no. Worrying does nothing to help us. It brings us no benefit. In fact, worrying actually takes hours away from our lives. The hours that we spend fretting or procrastinating or worrying. Jesus' advice, he says, to seek first God's kingdom. Seek first that kingdom that has come near. 